The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. Thank you, Grant. So here's the deal today. There's a note sheet there that's on the back of your program that you were handed on the way in. Um, we could do this, this message in about seven seconds. Here's the message in seven seconds. What I hope happens today, what I hope happens every week, but especially today, is that your heart is captured and captivated by Jesus. That's all I care about today. I don't care if you learn anything else today, if you're blown away by the deep insight of all the things that are gonna be in this new eternal heaven kingdom of God. If your heart is captivated by Jesus, that's a win all, all the way around. Grant just read for us from Revelation 21 and 22. For those of you who've been here the whole time, you've heard us say it a few times, that revelation is not revelations, it's the revelation of Jesus. And it's not a secret code to be cracked to figure out what the time and the schedule and the dates and all those things mean, because it cannot mean for us what it could not have meant for them back in the first century. The purpose of the, all these gargantuan, crazy visions, and now this amazing, beautiful vision that we have here in Revelation is to inspire faithfulness to Jesus in the midst of overwhelming trials, temptation, and persecution. That's the only, if you get anything else out of a relation, it doesn't matter if you figure out who the beast is or what the secret code of the Antichrist is or what 666 means. That's not the purpose of the book. The purpose of the book is to capture your heart again with how amazing Jesus is and that you would follow him and love him all your life no matter what. It's kind of exciting today because we have a little girl getting baptized and her name is Asha. She's getting baptized and in getting baptized, what we always ask people is you're gonna follow Christ no matter what. Because those of you have been Christians for a while know when you first became a Christian, sometimes it was because your life was a mess and things happened in your life and you just met Jesus and it was awesome and everything was great and amazing and beautiful. And then stuff happened. And then people in your life, and it didn't always go so well. We always ask no matter what because following Jesus doesn't mean it always goes well for you. Like it did in the first century when people are being slaughtered and, and impaled on stakes and coated alive with tar and burned alive by the emperors of Rome. That's what's going on. He says, even in those kind of circumstances, are you gonna follow Jesus no matter what? Um, we, we see here, uh, one of the things you need to know about heaven, uh, that largely our, uh, mo- most of our theology, our perspective on heaven, goes something like this. We think that, uh, what's that old Steven Spielberg movie, somewhere out there beyond the pale blue sky, there's a whole new world a whole new place for you and me. It's a whole somewhere out there is heaven. I'm telling you right now, you know where that comes from? That comes from Buddhism and Eastern mysticism. That doesn't come out of the Bible at all. Heaven, wait for it, is not somewhere out there where you're going someday. You know where heaven is? Look around. So you're going, if this is heaven, I'm out. No, because... Look, at the end of it, Look, I just you get your Bibles out and get a pen or pencil. We have a pen or pencil scattered around the room. Write some things down today in that note sheet. Um, circle, highlight, do, mark up your Bibles a little bit here. In Revelation 21.5, it says, And the one sitting on the throne, this is Jesus, said, I am making everything new. He did not say, I'm making all new things. He did not say, I'm going to blow up this place 
and we're going to restart and make a whole brand new everything. I'm taking everything that's here. I'm going to make everything new. I'm going to restore it to what it was originally intended to be. And then in verse 2 and 3, I love this too. And I saw the holy city, the capital city of this great kingdom of God, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. Heaven is coming down to us. Did you see it here? Sometimes you read the Bible like just yada, yada, yada. God's home is now among his people. It is not his people going up to God's home. When you understand that, if you get that in your head, especially if those of you pay attention to science and the Hubble telescope and the James Webb big telescope thing, and we get how massive the universe is, and know that God exists outside of space and time and all that, you know where he's coming forever and ever to make the epicenter of the universe? Here? Planet Earth, we're not going somewhere. This is what, this is the pinnacle. It's where he's coming for everything. It's beautiful. Um, that's our eternal place is in this new heavens and this new earth. There's a city that's described here. We oftentimes think of heaven as like some remote forest and beach and all that. No, it's like the city. It's a city, the great city of God, Augustine called it. And what we think is described here is this is not the totality of God's eternal kingdom. What we see described here in chapter 21 and 22 is the capital city, the capital city of God's great kingdom. The whole thing is going to be fantastic and amazing, but there's this capital city that's described here. It's called heaven or the new Jerusalem. And, and so it's not somewhere out there. Now, some of you are going, well, what about that verse? It's in John 14. It says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Some people, I remember growing up, hearing this, heard, heard it by Christian leaders, teachers, speakers, um, concert guys go to concerts, swing out heaven. It'd be this. Man, God made the earth in seven days, and it's taken him 2,000 years to make heaven. As if God is up in heaven on an HGTV heaven remodel project going, God, I saved all these people. What am I going to do with them? I got no place for them. I got to, I got to blow the place up. No, this is not. When, there may be something he's doing. Okay, here's what I want to tell you. God is always doing. God is always creating. God is always renewing. God is always revitalizing. I think what Jesus meant when he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, where he was going was to the cross and the resurrection. That's how he's preparing the place for us so that we have a place. That we don't have to work and work hard and remodel the whole dang thing or get our lives all together. He's going to do it for us. Um, The, I was talking with Crystal Perry, who uh, leads worship over here for She's on this mic over here today. If you guys know who Crystal over here is worship here, she's awesome and amazing, does great stuff here. We were ch chatting about a song we're going to sing today, and it's a beautiful song. That song, I Can Only Imagine. And I love that line in it. So will I be able, when I'm in his presence, will I be able to speak at all? This idea, I'm going to get to heaven, I have things to say to God. You're going to get in God's presence. You're going to go, I got nothing to say here, pal. But, uh, You'll see on your note sheet, we've kind of said, what if we read the lyrics there a little bit? Not to criticize them, but maybe it's not, I can only imagine. Maybe it's like, 
I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine how amazing and fantastic this great kingdom of God is going to be. There's a book by a guy named Randy Alcorn. I have it uh, referenced on the bottom of your note sheet today. It should be there, the title there. The, it'll also be up here on the screen. The, I think there's a screenshot of, of the book. Yeah. Uh, get that book and read it. When you read it, read a chapter and then wait five days. There's so much in it that's so good. that will not, It's not just content for your head. It'll move your heart. And you need to let it sit in there and take some time. So take a year and read the book here and there, uh, and, and do that. Uh, I got a few quotes by him today because we're not going to do an exhaustive series on heaven. Looking at everything the Bible has to say about heaven, we would be here for the next 37 weeks. We're not going to do that. We're just going to do this one week on it today. But here's a great quote he has in his book. He says, The most tragic strain in human existence lies in the fact that the pleasure which we find in the things of this life, however good that pleasure may be in itself, is always taken away from us. The things for which men and women strive hardly ever to turn out to be as satisfying as they expected. Anybody get that Amazon package? Remember when it shows up? There's something happens in your brain going, oh my God, my life is now complete. And you open it, you know how long it lasts? You guys know how long it lasts, right? Till the next one shows up. Which is why we have to keep ordering them. Because we get addicted to the adrenaline rush of shopping and all that. It's a different thing on idolatry. That's for later. And it, it hardly turn out to be as satisfying as they expected. And in the rare cases in which they do, sooner or later they are snatched away. For the Christian, all those partial, broken, and fleeting perfections which he glimpses in the world around him, which wither in his grasp and are snatched away from him, even while they wither, are found again, perfect, complete, and lasting in the absolute beauty of God. Everything that you're longing for, everything you think you're getting for, imagine that being fulfilled and not just being fulfilled and go, okay, now I feel it, but it's always getting better and better and better. We're gonna take a look today now at a revelation now at stuff we can't even imagine. We're gonna do our best here today to kind of go through it. Uh, we've broken it up into to two parts, really. What is gonna be no more in heaven, <laughs> some things that aren't going to be there anymore, thank God you're going to see, and then some things that will be there, and will be there in ever-increasing measure. Uh, he tells us in chapter 21, verse 1, he says, new heaven, uh, new earth, he says, and the sea was also gone. Now, when you first read that, you go, what, there's no ocean in heaven? Because some of you are going, I love the ocean. Now, we know there's water in heaven because it talks about massive rivers and streams and lakes and all that kind of stuff. Again, you have to climb inside the story. For those of you who are here and remembered the first week, please flatter me by saying that you're thinking I, you paid attention. The first week, where is John writing, receiving this vision from? An island. What's around an island? The sea. And back in those days, they didn't build resorts in the sea because they didn't have the engineering we have today because around the sea, the sea, if, especially if you watch the movie films like 300 and, and movies like uh, The Lord of the Rings, you know what the sea always represents in ancient culture? Terrifying chaos. Chaos. N nobody goes out there and go, let's go on a cruise somewhere. <laughs> no. You want to die? You want to be terrified? And then imagine now, too. Remember, John is writing this. He, received, he receives this vision from Jesus. And Jesus says, write this letter to seven churches. John's over here on the island of Patmos. Right across this ocean channel here, about 60 miles away, are those seven churches where the people 
He knows those people. He loves those people. He was the one who probably led some of them to Christ, baptized some of them, helped them work through stuff in their life. He just he loved these people. And what's been separating him from them? The sea. No more. There's no more separation. These people that you love with all your heart, that you've been banished to this podunk, nasty, little gross island over here, that division's going to be gone. You're going to be with people, united, reunited forever and ever. There's also going to be in heaven, we, it's a famous verse that gets used in all kinds of messages on heaven in verse 4. You can write it down. It says, it can be no more sorrow or sadness. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. We should just stop right there. You and I have grown, guys, guys, in the last uh, four weeks here, I've been part of participating in four or five different funerals, memorial services for people. And you know what the pastor always says, somebody says all the time, well, you know, death's coming for all of us. And we've grown so used to the fact that death is coming. Can you imagine a place where nobody ever dies again? Nobody ever dies again. Nobody ever gets sick again. No more death or sorrow or crying or pain that, that's all those things are gone forever. And this is why I said that the, 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 the title here is you can't even imagine because we can't conceive of a world like that where you're going to live forever and nobody ever dies. And it's not like we're all going to walk around like, oh, uh, uh, can I have some kale, keto-free, gluten-free, blended? You know what's not going to be in heaven? Doctors. You know what's going to be in heaven? Pastors. Thank God. <laughs> You're going to see here in a bit uh, that uh, all that sorrow and sadness, Eric Clapton had it right years ago, that song. No tears in heaven. It's going to be gone. Nothing is going to ever cause sorrow or sadness. The reason there's not going to be, you know, the rest of these are really things of, of, of why there's not going to be any sorrow in heaven. Number three, it tells us, well, you can write it down. I'll give you the verses. There's no character or characters in conflict with God. What that means is sin and sinners are gone. Verse 8, it says, but cowards, it's interesting. He starts with cowards, not like murderers and sexual or cowards. People go, I don't want to believe in Jesus because it's just too hard. Yeah, you're not in. Unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their face in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Look down at verse uh, 27. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Chapter 22, verse 15. Outside the city, outside of heaven are the dogs the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshipers, and I love this last, I don't love it, but it, this kind of, and all who love to live a lie. Because it's easy to go, okay, sexually immoral people and murderers are out there, but people who just, just trying to fake people out about how awesome they think they are. And then I'm really not that bad of a person, I'm good. That's living, loving to live that, that lie. All the character, all the sin, and anything in conflict with God is, is gone. One of the best things about heaven is found in verse 22. Look at verse 22. What's it say there? I saw no what in the city? No temple in the city. You know what it means? There's no temple or church in heaven. 
Some of you go, that's going to make heaven right there for me. No temple or church in the city. You know why that is? Because the dwelling place of God, it says that God's presence now will be everywhere in the city. Now, for you and I, the way we do church here, this actually, this church place here is very different than how they would have heard no temple back in the first century. Because we look at this here today and go, well, when you drive up here, especially if you're newer here, you would walk in going, okay, am I here at church or am I place to get my oil changed? That's what you feel like, right? Now, the, and once you get inside, it's fantastic and beautiful, but outside it feels like, honey, get the kids, kind of, sometimes. Oh, there's a little bit like that. Back in the first century, uh, they had this idea of a temple where they would gather. In the middle of that temple area, there was the, the whole big, the massive complex. In the middle was the whole temple building. Inside was a place called the Holy of Holies. You know what's inside the Holy of Holies? Indiana Jones. No. The, the Lost Ark. The Ark was in there. The Ark of the Covenant. If you saw that movie, there's a, there's a fairly accurate representation of what they think it probably looked like. And over, it says over there, these, these gold angel beings that were inscribed there. And hovering in and around over that Ark of God's Covenant was the manifest presence of God. Not just like idea like, well, the presence of God is everywhere. Like something was there. The thing that was on the top of Mount Sinai, that amazing presence of God, Right there, all of a sudden, you're like, so God's not going to be there? No, God's going to be there, but God's not going to fill the whole place. We don't need a, a temple anymore to do it. And this is why uh, you'll see there, uh, we're going to read it here in a bit, that, that it says that he, the angel measures this city. And it measures the city, and it says it's this wide by this many miles and this long. And then it does a weird thing that you never do when you would measure a city. It also says it's this high. You know why it does that? It's not telling us that, that that's the only place heaven's going to be because it's not big enough for the billions and billions of Christians. It's the capital city, and he's telling us this, that when they made the temple, you know what God said? That ark, that place, the holy of holies, where my presence dwells, make it this wide and this long and this high. It was a cube. Same thing he's doing here to say, now the dwelling place of God is no longer going to be in a one little place in a city. It's the whole place is filled with the glory of God. No temple will be needed because God's presence will fill the place. It tells us in chapter 21, verse 23, chapter 22, verse 5, that you can write this down, number 5, there's no need for the sun or moon. It doesn't say we won't see the sun or moon. It just says we won't need them anymore. Think about how dependent we are on the sun or moon. Just forget about all the science of it, just for light, right? Like if there's no sun, it's perpetual darkness. What and we also know, too, that the sun is significant because it's our little speck of a planet revolves around it. But there are a kajillion billion galaxies in the universe. And in each one of those galaxies are a kajillion billion stars. Our dinky little sun here and our dinky little planet here. Everything revolves around that. If that sun goes away, you know what happens to us? We go away. He says, no longer are we going to be dependent on external bodies, things that God created to, to sustain us. He says, we're going to be dependent on the manifest presence of God now. We won't need the sun or moon anymore to make sure the ocean tides or gravity and all that stuff. That's all going to be done. God's presence will do all of that. 
It tells us in verses 25 to 27 that he says the gates will never be closed. The gates of the city will never be closed. Now, you and I hear that and go, who has gates around a city anymore? Really, hardly anybody does that. But back then, big cities, what that means is there's no safety or security issues. Because back then, at nighttime, you know when you close, well, that's when you close the gates. So it was at nighttime because of safety and security issues. And, and cities were in great jeopardy out there from other foreign countries and terrorist kinds of bands of raiders also synonymous with that football team from that city, but that's a different thing for a different story. The Raider fans, I'm sorry, but yeah, you got a terrible team this year anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, but so do we in L.A. if you're an L.A. fan. Um, anyway, I'll just shut up and keep going. And what it's also saying here is that it's open access to everyone. The gate's wide open. Now look at me. Not everyone gets into this city, but everyone. You are invited. And it doesn't matter what your background has been. Spiritually, ethnically, economically, it doesn't matter what jacked up stuff you've done in your life. It doesn't matter if you've been a tightly wound religious jerk like me most of your life. Everybody gets in. If you believe that what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago on that cross counts for you today, faith in Jesus, that's how you get in. You don't get in because of your good deeds. The gates are open. Jesus says, come on. Come on in to this great city. No safety, security issues. And then what the reason there's no more sorrow, sadness, crying, or pain, uh, it says in chapter 22, verse 3, I want you to underline this verse in your Bible, so I'm going to read it here real quick. It says, no longer will there be a curse upon anything. When our, when our, our ancestry, Adam and Eve, sinned in the Garden of Eden and said, God, we love your stuff, just go away and leave us alone. This is what happened there as a curse got on everything, like a sin, like a virus, got into nature, and nature doesn't work the way it's supposed to. Some of you in here have fantastic marriages. Some of you have great marriages, fantastic, good ones. But all of you, even in fantastic marriages, there's some parts of that that's just kind of like, hmm. From time to time, it gets difficult, and we snap at each other and all that kind of. So relationships don't work the way they're really supposed to work. All that and more. He said, this won't come as a surprise to any of you. Your body does not work the way it's supposed to work. You can, I don't need you to tell me that, pal. I hurt myself sleeping last night, you know. <laughs> I woke up and go, how did I blow my elbow out? I didn't do anything yesterday. Can we even fathom a world where things aren't breaking down all the time? See, so much of our world's work and resources, from hospitals to armies, to police, to, to education, to all that stuff and more. You know why we need it? Because there's a curse here. There's, the whole thing is cursed. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 that creation is groaning in the pains of childbirth, waiting for this curse to be lifted. And we have grown so used to the curse that I don't think we realize what kind of hell we're living in all the time. We've gotten used to hell. And after a while, when you're used to it, it's just kind of, oh, well, that's just the way it is. Uh, there's, there's no more of that anymore. And we're going to talk now, move from the what's, what's not going to be there anymore to what's going to be there, not just be there like, okay, it's there, but it's going to be there in ever-increasing measure. More and more and more and more of it. Some quotes here from Andy Elkhorn and Eugene Peterson. It says this, It's not an ending, but a fresh beginning. Sin ruined creation is restored in the sacrifice renewed creation of Revelation. 
And then Eugene Peterson, in a book I've referenced a few times here called Reversed Thunder, I'd encourage you all to get it, says this, For the Christian, death is not the end of adventure, but a doorway from a world where dreams and adventures shrink, where we are right now, to a world where dreams and adventures forever expand. More and more and more. This is why I know I've talked to people and go, well, heaven's going to be boring. Okay, so it's perfect there, but if there's not any drama or difficulty, who'd want to be there? And I get that. There's something that makes it interesting when it's a little naughty or nasty or just difficult. We, we, again, this is why I said you can't even imagine a place that's always, always, always getting better. So number one, what's going to be in heaven? We see it all over. I can't even reference all the verses. Just read the whole 21 to 22 revelation is the glory and the presence, the greatness of God will be there. Habakkuk 2.14. I'm not going to turn to my Bible. Can you just put it up on the screen for me? We'll read it right off the screen. It says, For as the waters fill the sea, the earth, not somewhere out there, beyond, way out there in another dimension, right here, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of God. And we cannot conceive of that because every time the glory of God shows up in the Bible, you know what happens to people? It about kills them. It says, I saw God and, and it knocked me out. John, John, beginning of Revelation here. Jesus shows up to John in his glorified state and John felt like it about killed me. Imagine a place where we're now transformed and renewed and restored and we can be in the absolute manifest presence of God and experience all the joy and the greatness, infinite greatness we get to experience and it won't kill us. The glory of God's going to be there. That's the, probably the greatest thing about heaven. There's even more. You know what's also going to be in heaven? I couldn't come up with a good word for it, so I just write this one down. Stuff's going to be there. <laughs> Stuff's going to be there. We have, uh, because of Renaissance paintings, because of Gary Larson Fireside cartoons, because of Family Guy, because of The Simpsons, they will sometimes talk about heaven and, and the heavenly realm and all that kind of thing. And we often view it as like the, we're like disembodied clouds of things that will ultimately all meld together in the essences of the cosmosness, of the wonderfulness, of the, and we're all going to go forever. Or we're floating around on clouds wearing togas, playing harps. No, stuff's going to be there. We're going to be not out there somewhere, here. And it's going to be absolutely renewed and renewing. Uh, Chapter 21, look what's going to be here. Look at verse, chapter 21, verse 10. It says, So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem. We've already seen that in verse 1. Descending out of heaven from God. Not, we're going to go up there, up to heaven to be with God. Coming down here, it shone with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper, as clear as crystal. The city wall was broad and high with 12 gates guarded by 12 angels and the names of the 12 tribes of Israel were written on the gates. There were three gates on each side, east, north, south, and west. The wall of the city had 12 foundation stones and on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now we all hear that, okay, the 12 apostles of the Lamb. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going, I got better guys to build as the foundation of the city of God than Peter, James. I mean, these guys were a hot mess disaster like you and I are. These are the ones. He builds the whole thing. That's fantastic. 
If you can build the foundation on them, you got room for you too. The angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates and its wall. When he measured, he found it was a square, a cube, as wide as it was long. In fact, its length and width and height were each 1,400 miles. Don't get too preoccupied with those English measurements. I think sometimes in our attempt to try to make it all make sense to us in the West, we take the measurement, the, the numbers written here and try to convert them to English standards when we maybe should just go, this is not a statistic. It's symbolic of 12. Perfection in the Bible. 12,000, 12 times 12 times 1,000. Absolute perfection here. It says, verse 17, that he measured the walls and found them to be 216 feet thick according to the human standard used by the angel. The wall, not your granite counter, not your countertops, not your pool, the wall was made of jasper, and the city <laughs> was pure gold, as clear as glass. The wall of the city was built on foundation stones inlaid with 12 precious stones, and I'm not going to read them because I can't pronounce some of them. It says, there's 21 now. The 12 gates were made of pearls. This is where we get the idea of pearly gates from. Each gate from a single pearl. And the main street was pure gold, as clear as glass. He's telling us that there's going to be stuff there. Stuff that you and I have seen. Now, how many of you ever bought a house, live in a house, bought a house? You know, when they did the inspection, and, you know, they took you out there, and they showed you all this stuff, and they took you out there to where, like, okay, here's, like, where the foundation footers are. Did you sit there and go, wow. Look at that cement. Cement. When they put, when you drove up today, and some of you parked across the street where we need you to park to keep all kinds of close parking here for people that are newer and stuff. That's a different thing for a different day. But, um, and you walked across the asphalt. <laughs> Did you sit there and go, oh my God. The, the asphalt and the cement. gold and precious stuff. Can you imagine what the rest of the city is going to look like? Asphalt and cement are amazing. We have no conception of this. And it also can tell us that uh, here in Revelation and then in other places in the Bible that we're going to be there and we're going to have real bodies. People are going to recognize you. Now, I have no idea how old you're going to be there, what your ideal age will be and how, what you're going to look. What's, what's beautiful about, about this is in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, verses 40 to 50, the Bible tells us we're going to have, wait for it, heavenly bodies. Some of you are going, that's why I'm eating kale right now. <laughs> no more kale or gluten-free anything. You're going to have a heavenly body. And, and no, yeah, it's going to be beautiful and amazing. It says, the, the Bible tells us we're going to eat real food there. We get a, a kind of a sneak preview of, of what our bodies will be like because they're going to be material. They're going to be made of stuff, and yet they're going to be very transcendent and different than just the limitations of our physical body now. We see this with Jesus. When, when Jesus rose from the dead, he had a transformed body, which means we could see him. What's interesting about that is that Jesus was known by his scars, and he'll forever be known by his scars. All that stuff didn't go away. That was, like I think, something to be transformed about the trials and difficulties of our life, but that was still in his transformed body, and he could walk into a place, he could eat and ate real food. People says they grabbed him and they touched him, 
But all the time, you know what happened? He would not be there, and then he was just there. Think how awesome that would be. I want to go out and see Pluto. Okay. Think of the ability just to be where you want to be, some idea of that. I have no idea. This is a lot of speculation because I can't even imagine, I'm trying to, what this is going to be like. We're going to have real bodies, uh, real place. The gospel, Eugene Peterson says, the quote will be up on the screen, does not begin with matter and then gradually get refined into spirit. It does not begin with a material universe and then work itself up through levels and finally graduate into spirit angels and disembodied existence. It's real stuff, real people. Which means, number three, there's going to be people there. Peoples from every race, tribe, class, and people. We're going to be real people, not just spiritual entities hovering in and floating around. It says the nations are going to bring their glory into it. Which means there's, there's going to be some people in heaven. You're going to go, really, they got in? And you know what? They're going to look at you and go... Them? Americans? No, no, seriously. People that live in places where, look, we're not doing a political thing here at all today, but I'm just telling you right now, Christianity, the way of Jesus, is the only spirituality in the existence of human history that is not geographically centered. You know where Christianity is blowing up right now? Not in America. In South America, in Africa, and in Iran. Crazy stuff is happening there. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church and get out of my way, hell. I'm kicking down the gates to get some stuff. So one of the questions that comes up with this was we were, oh, i got to hurry, is where are people now? If we're going to be in heaven forever and ever and ever someday, where are people now? I know some of you have lost people. Where are people now? The Bible teaches that we will enter into conscious communion with Jesus upon death. Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 to 8, Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, it's not the final ever, forever, and ever thing that is coming for us at the end of the age of history when we step into the next age of the eternal kingdom of God. Also, where people are now who, are, are not, who have not yielded their life to Jesus Christ will, will enter a state of being absent from God's presence. The Bible calls this place often Hades or Sheol. It's like a prison cell. It's an awful, terrifying place, but awaiting final judgment in an awful place, like a holding cell in a prison. That's just a quick thing because people sometimes wonder, well, what does all this mean for right here, right now? Because there is no more curse anymore, because the curse is gone and sin and evil are gone, you know, we're going to have, I made up a word this week, so just deal with it. Number four, we're going to have hyper-functional relationships. Some of you just got done with holidays and dysfunctional all over the place, right? And you know what? And we just got done with it and like, what? They can't even give us a month and they're all coming back again. Um, codependent, dysfunction kinds of stuff in relationships. You know what that means in heaven, in this great kingdom of God? No more drama kings or queens. Some of you are going, then how am I going to get in? Because God's going to transform you. Because <laughs> you're a mess. Um, relationships will finally work the way they're supposed to work. Finally. Because they don't right now. Even the best of them. And I know you're sitting next to your wife right now and go, oh, not us, babe. Go, shut up, dude. You just know. Things don't work the way they're supposed to work. And then I love this. It's one of my favorite ones on this. 
Chapter 21, verse 5, it says, The one sitting on the throne, Jesus said, Look, I am making everything new. Number five is unending, unrestrained creativity. Not making all new things and not I, not I have made and I'm waiting for you to get here or I will make when you get here. I am making. You know what that means? He's making it and making it and making it, which is why, look at me for a second, heaven will not be boring. You know why heaven's not going to be boring? Because the reason you have to live forever is that's how long it's going to take you to figure out how great and amazing God is. It's going to take you forever to figure that out. That's why you have to live forever. You'll never plumb the depths of God's creativity, his beauty, his happiness, his joy. It's unending and not like, okay, I'm happy. It's not like you walk on a cruise ship and you have the buffet or the thing and go, oh, this is amazing and awesome. But after a while, I mean, I've been on a cruise once or twice in my life. By the end of it, I go, I am just sick of eating. I mean, it's fantastic food, but I'm just done. Can you imagine a place where you're never just tired of it all? It just keeps getting better and better and better. Dallas Willard is a great author. If you ever get a book by him, read it. He says it this way, We will not sit around looking at one another at God for eternity, but we will join the eternal Logos. We will reign with him in the endlessly ongoing creative work of God. It is for this that we were each individually intended as both kings and priests. You're going to be a king someday. Look at that person sitting next to you. Hey, King Kelly, or Queen Kelly, sorry, or King Evan. What, you're be king or queen someday. King, a place in God's creative order has been reserved for each one of us from before the beginnings of cosmic existence. His plan is for us to develop as apprentices to Jesus to the point where we can take our place in the ongoing creativity of the universe. We're going to be part of this because it's not, it's, well, it's here. Look at Revelation 22. Verse 12, he says, look, I'm coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. Number six is there is rewards coming for you. What you do in this life lasts for forever and ever and ever. And you will not sit around in heaven like, oh, just serve me, sit back here like I'm in some resort, snapping your fingers for drinks with umbrellas in them. That's not what heaven's going to be. What heaven's going to be is God says, if you've done well in this life, I've got stuff for you to do in the next life. And so you're going to have to work in the next life? Yeah, work is not, the reason we, we don't like work and work, oh, what a drag, I go to work, is because when creation was cursed, work wasn't, work wasn't the result of the curse. People were, they were already working in the Garden of Eden, in this beautiful paradise that God had given them. It was the work itself that became frustrating and difficult. Now it's going to be this, imagine being able to be creative and work with none of the frustration of ridiculous people. Of, of ridiculous, like, how come I can't figure out how to get the wire nut on this stupid ceiling fan fixture thing to make sure the dumb thing works and I don't shock myself four times doing it? None of that frustration will be there. Some of you are going, yeah, that was me last weekend. Um, and then, guys, if, if there are no pearly gates, if there is no unending creativity, if there is no food in heaven. If, there, if all the stuff I said, if none of that was true, and if all we had was number seven, which is Jesus. And guys, I'm telling you right now, that's why I prayed for you this week. We gathered together to pray beforehand. If your heart and soul gets captured and captivated by Jesus, it's amazing. First John, flip over to in your Bibles from Revelation. Revelation is the, next, is the last book, and then you go to the book of Jude, 
And then the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. 1st John chapter 3. Verse 1. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children. And that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Dear friends, we are already God's children. But he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. We can only or we can't even imagine. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. There is coming a day you're going to see Jesus face to face. And if there are no pearly gates and streets of gold and unending creativity, and Jesus is there, that'll be enough for you for eternity. See, look at me for a second. We oftentimes think of Jesus as the dispenser of cash and prizes. Jesus is not the dispenser of cash and prizes. He is the prize. He's the one we're going for. Guys, if you don't like Jesus very much, you're going to hate heaven. If all Jesus is is the get out of hell free card, you're going to hate heaven. And again, every long, it's heart and soul desire thing we have in our soul is to find that place what we, and what we really want. It is the person that we were made for and the place we're made for. Jesus and this great city of God. There's a great little, uh, C.S. Lewis wrote some books called The Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, he has the last one called The Last Battle. In The Chronicles of Narnia, the, the children uh, go into this through the, the wardrobe in this big house into the land of Narnia where they meet Aslan, the lion, who's like a figure of God, a Christ figure in there. And in The Last Battle, it's the last one of the books, the children have gone into Narnia again and yet they're kind of like, what's going on here? It feels a little different. And Aslan, the lion, says to him, yet you do not look so happy as I mean you to be. Lucy said, well, we're so afraid of being sent away, Aslan, as you've sent us back into our own world so often. No fear of that, said Aslan. Have you not guessed? And their hearts leaped, and a wild hope rose within them. There was a real Railway accident, said Aslan softly. Your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked at them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and so beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the beginning, the cover, and the title pages. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read which goes on forever and ever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Guys, I just tell you right now, my whole heart and soul for me, for all of you, is that your heart be captured and captivated. Not my streets of gold and pearly gates. After a while, after a billion years, I'd be like, eh. Your hearts are captivated by Jesus. Captured by him. I have no desire. Well, that's not true. I, the, Paul writes about it this way. I mean, one of his things, I have this desire to depart and be with Christ, and yet I don't want to die because dying is unnerving and weird, and I don't want that. 
but I just want to see him. I want to be there with him so badly. I want you to have that longing of your heart and soul to go to be with Jesus, that he is the ultimate one for, for us. Band's coming up right now. We're going to take some time today to sing about this one who's captured and captivated our hearts. For some of you, that maybe hasn't really happened yet. My hope and prayer for you is that Jesus does that for you today. There's something, look at me, moves from up here to right in here. We're going to give you a chance today to sing some great songs. We're going to sing our heads off in this place today. I'm telling you, after last night, I told, I, I told the band, I said, well, I should have read like Revelation 21 and then just sat down and just done these songs. Just get ready. Tie a knot. Fasten, well, don't fasten your seatbelt. Just be ready. So good. So beautiful. Sing your head off today. These songs about this Jesus who's captured and captivated our hearts. We also have communion available for you in the four corners of the room. It's, it's bread and juice symbolizing the body and blood of Jesus that made heaven and this great kingdom of God possible for every single one of us. If you came in today carrying some weight and pressure and difficulty, and some of you have, some of you go, that curse of sin, I'm feeling it right now, all over the place. Our prayer team is at the back of the house today. They would love to pray with you about that. As Revelation wraps up, and we, this is the wrap-up of our series today, in chapter 22, and the last of the visions that John gets, that he passes on to us, Jesus says four times, I'm coming, I'm coming, but he says, I'm coming soon. Now, soon to Jesus means something different than does to you and me, right? Because it's been 2,000 years. As he wraps it up, though, listen to what he says here about inspiring our faithfulness to Jesus in between the time of his first coming and his second coming. He says this in the message translation, at the end, he says, I, Jesus, sent my angel to testify to these things for the churches. I am the root and branch of David, the bright morning star. Come on, says the spirit and the bride. Whoever hears echo, come on. Come on, says the spirit. Come all who will come and drink. Drink freely of the water of life. He who testifies to all these things says it again. I'm on my way and I am coming soon. Yes, come on, King Jesus. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.